and welcome back to another episode of On Repeat, the podcast with me, Ellie Rashid and Hattie Winter. Now this week is no different. We had the pleasure, the absolute pleasure of speaking to the Alabama-born and now Texas-based artist, Lady Dan, aka Tyler Dazier. I will never get over how amazing it is that we can talk to guests all over the world in the virtual world. As much as I would love to be seeing people face to face, there is something so refreshing about a different global kind of viewpoint. Anyway, more about Tyler. Her sounds kind of reminiscent of country folk and indie rock music, uniquely paired with an intimacy that articulates some of her personal struggles with religion and a controlling relationship with the church. Now, during this talk, we do discuss these stories and also discuss why music is such a perfect medium for getting your narrative out there. We also talk about the importance of keeping, you know, good people around us, people that are on our same wavelength. And we discuss kind of the difficulties that people can face when they do want to reach out and find their people in a world where it can seem so easy to kind of reach out to people on social media. We had such a good talk with Tyler. I think her warmth really comes through. She gave us, you know, a lot of her time in a really busy period when you're releasing an album. Um, and it was just great to, to connect with someone. And I'm really looking forward to her coming over to the UK. She's definitely going to be having dinner with me and Ellie, whether she likes it or not. It's going to be so fun to hang out in real life. So yeah, thank you again, Tyler. You're an amazing guest. Her debut album, I Am The Prophet, is out on the 23rd of April, so actually really not that far away, only like a month away, almost to the date. So make sure you keep your eyes peeled, we'll be sharing news and updates about that. You can follow her on Instagram at Uncle Beer Can. that's all one word, I bet you didn't see that handle coming. And of course, as usual, if you are enjoying the podcast, then please drop us a like, a review, a subscription on whichever platform you're listening to, we would really, really love some more reviews on Apple Podcasts because we do read all of them and it just helps other people find the podcast that might be interested it's totally free you don't have to use your real name um so yeah we just would love for you to take a couple of minutes out of your day to do that make sure that you're following us on social media at on repeat the podcast and yeah without much further ado this is Lady Dan aka Tyler Dozier my name is Tyler Dozier and I make music under the name Lady Dan. Well, welcome, welcome. And where are you right now? Oh, I am in my bedroom in Austin, Texas. Lovely. What's outside your window? What can you see? Paint the picture for us. (laughs) Oh, it's not very pretty. It's just a lot of (laughs) dead trees and my neighbor's, uh, I think, bathroom window. Lovely. I don't look over there very often. How exciting. We've had some guests from the US before. We've had Mina. um, We had uh, Amanda as well. We spoke to Slow Shudder. She was in, I want to say Seattle. Oh, cool. Yeah. But I love Seattle. Different part, different part of the, different part of the country. I forget how big America is. It's massive. I forget how big it is until I'm trying to just drive out of the state of Texas and it takes like six hours. Yeah. It's insane. That's mad. Oh. See, if we if I drove six hours, I'd be in France <laughs> or like <Yeah>. the sea. <laughs> but you're actually from a place in America called Birmingham. <laughs> and I had to double take that for a second because I saw it and I, you know, I was looking at making all these US links and then I just see Birmingham. And I do wonder how different the two Birminghams are. I am aware of it. Uh, 
Yes. So one time I, uh, when I was living, which we call it Birmingham, which sounds <laughs> so much more gross than Birmingham, but I was at a show. I was seeing uh, the Staves and they had a, a little conversation on stage about how they thought it was funny that we have a Birmingham as well. It's so good. I but think- <laughs> when you live there, you either you either call it B ham or the ham. Um, mm. So in the UK, yeah. like it's uh, it's Brum. I'm from Brum, but <laughs> oh. but funnily enough, I think the like I think wasn't it like the UK like the Birmingham council in Birmingham UK used a picture of like the Birmingham in America for no. one of their like local. <sighs> Local sort that of. That sounds like a thing. mistake. <laughs> it sounds like something from like Veep when you're like, you couldn't write this, but that's what somebody did. Right. And it went through to the printers and was put like through people's letterboxes. And they were like, this is not in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> I would say though that if you wanted to learn about our Birmingham, maybe one of the best ways is to watch Peaky Blinders. Uh, I think it's available on iPlayer. <laughs> I'm advertising Peaky Oh, Blinders. I've been told to watch oh, that yeah. so much. I should. It's you so should, it's good, great. honestly. You'll need subtitles, but it's great. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's speak about your Birmingham then. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. I grew up in a smaller town um, uh, in southeast Alabama called Dothan. And when I was 20... I, um, I had been to community college for like a year and then I had taken a gap year and then I decided to move to Birmingham for a ministry school. And so I moved there when I was 20, I went to ministry school for about a year and then I dropped out (laughs) and then, uh, I just stayed in Birmingham for like two more years and my life changed so much just in that span of time. I honestly feel like those two years were more formative than my like middle school and high school Mm. life. You know, it was very like just so much changed. I had like a whole new friend group and I was starting to see the possibilities of a music career and um, just changing a lot of the things that I believe and the ways that I think. So, um, but yeah, after, after a while, it started to feel like the opportunities that I had were just running out and I felt like I needed to go somewhere else to get into some new opportunities, basically. Mm, amazing. So you were yeah. making music before then? Yeah, I was dabbling. Um, I was doing like open mic nights um, and just writing. Uh, and then a friend of mine was doing the same thing. We were we were pretty much buddying up and and kind of pushing each other forward with it. And she ended up recording with someone. And once she was done with her recordings, I got to check them out. And I was like, okay, I should do that. <laughs> yeah. So I did <laughs> right before I moved. And then when, as soon as I got to Austin, I um I started on my like EP release cycle. So I released it out here. And then started gigging. What's the kind of open mic scene like? Mm. Oh, you know. (laughs) So in Birmingham, it was like this. It was kind of like a theater situation, like a small theater. Um, And what I liked about it was that there weren't a lot of young people there. And so it was automatically less intimidating. Mm. And also I feel like my writing style especially for the time the way that I was using storytelling 
felt like an older crowd would appreciate it more. And so, yeah, it was like a lot of older people and it was very laid back and uh, it wasn't a very popular thing. Open mic nights aren't super popular in Birmingham. So mm. I loved it though. Right. Yeah, so you different. feel like the older generation who were there maybe appreciated your music more? Yeah, I do. Well, mm. hmm, because I because they they grew up with um, artists like Jim Croce and James Taylor, and I think sure, that yeah. it's just what they know, and so it's it's just by nature what they appreciate. I've played I've played so many gigs um, with. Uh, just generally like older crowds and man, they're just such good listeners. I mean, they don't talk while you're playing and they're, they're just in it and they love it. And they're kind of my favorite, favorite crowds to play to. Just as you mentioned people like James Taylor, I immediately thought of, you know, that style of songwriting that lends itself so well to storytelling, I suppose. And and when you have songs that do have stories, then they also require great listening from an audience, which would fit with exactly what you were saying. But then on that point, do you think that the younger generation or younger generations are worse listeners or appreciate stories differently or maybe don't appreciate stories as much? Is that fair to say? Just thinking about the different ways we do tell stories, you know, whether it be things on Netflix or, you know, even even some pop music now tells stories. It doesn't just have to be like strophic form folk type of stuff with your Carol Kings and your James Taylors. I, I mean, I think it goes across a, a ton of mediums and, and definitely I'm not saying uh, that younger people uh, aren't interested in storytelling because certainly we are. Obviously we are. Um, and like you were saying with pop music, you can still do that with pop music. Uh, although it's, you know, got like a super catchy hook or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I love pop music. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think everyone's got their own mediums that they really focus on. And I've kind of noticed that a lot here recently because I have friends that read a lot and they don't know a ton of music, but they know a lot of short stories. And then I have friends that are so into film and they really know their directors um but they don't know a lot about music and then I'm the friend that just knows way too much about like a specific <laughs> artist or genre and uh I don't know I actually think that makes conversations a lot more fun mm. but definitely with storytelling I think everyone kind of either someone picks one medium and they get really into it or they kind of know a little bit about a lot of mediums mm. Yeah, I'm loving all this chat about storytelling because it feels like yeah, it really is such an integral part of people's creative process, be it for empathy or escapism. Oh, the human experience. Yeah, just being human. Um, yeah, I was I was actually just saying today. Uh, I I cry during like every movie I watch. <laughs> <laughs> Happy and or I'm sad? Not, like <laughs> yeah, yes. And I'm not really. I I wouldn't consider myself an extremely like emotional person outwardly, but I could be watching like the cheesiest, worst, like Hallmark film. 
and I could still shed a tear and be like, oh, something worked out for them. And I'm so happy for them. I like that. It seems quite like like, like the op, like an optimistic kind of side. Um, yeah. And I don't know why I laughed because I was thinking the other day there was an advert on TV about like this thing called Facebook portal. I don't know if you've seen it and it like follows you like around the room. Anyway, there's yeah. an advert here and it's a woman on the phone to her mum like trying to breastfeed her child and her mum's like giving her tips through the thing. And I was like, oh my God, this is so touching. That would have I don't have, me. <laughs> I don't have children. I've never breastfed. Like it's, you know, it's not my, it's not yeah. my story. It's not really marketed to me, but I was just like, oh my God, this is, they're connecting. <laughs> so Isn't I, that I totally crazy? get that. <laughs> Yeah, I feel the same way. Like I have, I've, I genuinely have no desire to ever be a mother, but still, even then, like you see those moments and you're just like, it just like hits you in such an yeah. emotional place. And that's what I love about storytelling is that um, they pull you in and make you feel like it's you. Mm. Like, you know, if you listen to like a Towns Van Zant song or again, I just love Jim Croce so much. And I think he's such a great storyteller, but they'll either make you feel like you're the one who just got your heart broken or you're the one who wants to die or, you know, mm. it's just, it's amazing. So it's just like being part of the human experience and feeling things, but it's also really nice when people storytell and it actually does sound like something you've been through before, mm. which I think is my favorite part of songwriting Yeah, for my songs. Like, I think they can be a little bit niche and specific to my situation, but at the same time, especially when I'm playing shows, like my biggest hope is that somebody listening feels understood mm. and seen and heard. I love that's, that. That's my favorite thing about making music. I love that. Do you think that kind of like the genre that you kind of work in really lends itself well to storytelling? If I think about kind of things like maybe more like country music and folk music and like sort of the blues, I think it really works for narrative storytelling. And because and we interviewed someone who has a, has a strong Irish background and, you know, the whole idea of folk music, it's kind of like mm. songs that are about warnings. Like they're very literal and mean like don't cross the road without looking that kind of thing but obviously to music and it is about the whole story and I was just wondering if you think that it just kind of enables you to be more free than maybe or maybe not necessarily be more free but be really just lend itself to the storytelling as opposed to like maybe other genres yeah I would definitely say historically with those genres you mentioned like country folk even like bluegrass and and blues we've had so many people pave the way and really set it up for us so that it is, it's uh, really, it feels really natural to approach those genres with storytelling. But I will also say that I feel like um, we're getting to the point where we're figuring out how to do that with pretty much all of the genres. Um, mm -hmm. Like I would, I would use Maggie Rogers as an example. She's taken like kind of like house music and mixed it with singer songwriter mm. and it's pop, but like she's telling a full story. Um, and I also just kind of in ways think genre is just dead. Like yeah. we've, we've, <laughs> we've just mixed it all up so hard. Yeah. It's like, we don't, <laughs> you have to use about seven, seven different words to describe like one band now, you know? Yeah. But I think it's, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it keeps so it too. interesting. Yeah. I think really strikes me when you talk about genre and storytelling 
because it makes me feel like, do we necessarily need lyrics to tell a story? Or can we just do it through the music? This is maybe a slight mm, yeah. trick question. <laughs> well, I think we, we've already we've already done that, haven't we? Because if you look at uh, like yeah. Renaissance and Baroque era music. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> I took music appreciation, all right? But yeah, that's what a, I listen to Baroque music a lot, actually. And that's what I love about it is like it's um, – there's no words, but it's like, this song is about a man running through the forest with his child of running away from El the spirit of death, yeah. you know? And it's just like, I... Big Goethe. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, <laughs> it's, it's so intense. And I mean, you wouldn't know just by listening to it, but it's still cool. Yeah. Mm. I think we have a lot to learn from storytelling without lyrics, you know? It means that we have to use our ears a little bit more to listen out for those motifs or riffs that are actually trying to convey something or maybe even word painting, loads to learn from it. And like you said, we yeah. can hear so many features of that in contemporary instrumental music. It's awesome. And if anything, it kind of demonstrates how related and how many overlaps <laughs> there are, you know? It's dead. Yeah, genre is dead, man. <laughs> it's so dead. We've been saying this for time. Yeah, We really Every are. Week. <laughs> You know, the difficulties of pigeonholing your music. How do you label yeah. your own music, you know? Yeah. And it's especially difficult um, to describe your own music. Yeah, 100%. I just, I have no idea. I, I feel like I just really reach and I'm like, I guess we can call it this. But <laughs> I, 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 it also sounds like this and that. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll mm. just go with that. That seems safe. Yeah. I always think with genre as well, it's that like you get like the a genre and then you get like a kind of subgenre and then those subgenres mm. split and like every decade they split. Yeah. So then it's like if you yeah. start listening to several subgenres, like all your influences are so split as well. So you can't ever yeah. be just one thing. And it's nice to not really have like one label. We don't need it. I don't think humans need labels in any really yeah. real capacity. I, 100%. Yeah. And I think even in a very like, uh, logistical way that translates to getting you onto more festival lineups mm -hmm. for different types of festivals. I just think it's better to kind of be as broad as you can. Yeah. I think it, in the long run, it, it's, it's more helpful than like you're saying, like pigeonholing yourself into a extremely specific genre. Yeah. I'm actually going to steal one of Effie's, Effie's, Ellie's signature questions, <laughs> which is, we, there's a lot of playlisting. I'm going from festivals to playlisting. Mm -hmm. And without being on a playlist that's like called hip hop or like rap, what playlist would your music be under? Or where would people be going? Where do people listen to your music? What time of day is it? Mm. This is a classic LA question. I'm definitely trying to run with it. <laughs> no, this is your question now. <laughs> you asked it much better. Do you think that your music would live on one playlist? Or do you think that your kind of song or like your album that's coming out uh next month now would they all fit mm -hmm. one playlist would they be scattered across several would they have names like walking in the forest lounging on mm. the beach I definitely think they're scattered I think there's a time and place for each song um but I actually like that that mm. was something I was considering whenever I was picking the songs to go into the studio with and uh, the producer, Jeremy, obviously did such a great job at making them all sound like they belong on the same album. But at the same time, they definitely have very different energies and certainly belong 
to different playlists. I'm surprised you didn't go with your sister's term. That uh, what was it? Melancholic cowboy vibes or something? Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I saw that in an interview. Yeah, exactly. Actually, you're so right. That should be a playlist. I might make that. <laughs> you playlist. should make it. Oh my god, you should. <laughs> I love it. I put it on my profile or whatever. Yeah, oh, melancholic cowboy vibes. Just bring it back for a second to storytelling. It seems like your life so far has been quite an interesting story or maybe a collection <laughs> of short stories. And do you feel like, you know, the story of your life has really had an important impact on your creative process? And how important is it for you to articulate this through medium of your songwriting oh yeah I mean I don't think that I would make music if if I wasn't doing that because uh I started writing songs because I had so many weird things happening to me that I didn't know how to process I'm not so great about talking about how I feel um but I can definitely turn it into a song pretty quickly and feel like um, I've processed the emotion. Yeah, that makes sense as to why you feel mm. like it's easier to put those emotions into a song. But I'm just thinking you're still giving a little bit of yourself to an audience, whether it's people you know or people you don't know. And that's still a lot. That seems... That feels pretty brave to me. Does that ever get quite difficult? I'm honestly always scared when I'm playing a new song for someone for them to be like, do you need to see someone? <laughs> Should we institutionalize you? Oh. But generally people's response are, are pretty positive. And, and I do wonder, like I, I wonder, you know, when my family hears me play a song, if they, if they think I can't, believe that happened to her mm. or if they think wow she's like really good at making up stories <laughs> because they they tend to not ask my sister and I are very close and she knows you know all the stuff I'm going through so whenever I turn it into a song she knows exactly what I'm talking about um so yeah. we have that connection <laughs> yeah of yeah. course and that must be a really special thing to actually have somebody listen to your music when they know the full story and I assume that there'll be other people who have gone through your life and also have a pretty good idea of what your stories are and also maybe some people who don't necessarily mm -hmm. understand word for word but have a pretty good idea and it's always yeah. a difficult one when you've got people interpreting your lyrics or maybe even getting offended by the art that you're putting out there to the world. Because I was just thinking it is quite sort of charged <laughs> in its content. So how do you deal with people who just don't like it or disagree or even get quite offended by it? Um, you know, I think specifically for my sister, who again, I mean, she knows <laughs> my story better than, than most people ever could. And because she watched me go through all the things that I had to go through. And she was even 
a victim to uh, the consequences of religion as well. Definitely not as deeply as I was, but um, but she gets it, and um, I think she I think she approaches it with empathy. And I I, I can't speak for everyone else that listens to it. I'm sure people uh, will do one of both. You know, they'll either see it as like escapism, cool storytelling, whatever, or they'll empathize with it, whether they've watched someone go through it or they've been through it themselves. There's still people from from my old church who uh, keep up with what I'm doing. And um, whether or not they're outwardly supportive or outwardly critical, I mm. know that they see it. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think uh, I've definitely thought about this a lot, actually. If I got any backlash for being sacrilegious or blasphemous or whatever, I don't care. <laughs> I have I just have no desire to to enter back into that world. And um, because I, I it just is so oppressive and mm. I I didn't feel like I could be who I am. And uh, so because I have no desire to get back into that world, I just don't care if they don't like me or not. That's good. That's quite freeing. Yeah. Oh, it's so freeing. And also, you know, my people will find me, you know. Um, so I'm just not super worried about shutting out a, a large demographic of people. No, run with it. I like that. Yeah. Be, be your own boss. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely like also like I'm processing my emotions when I write songs, but I'm also it's like the only platform where I feel like I can really just be cold and mean and not feel bad about it. Mm. So I just get to be I basically I just get to be a bitch and I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> And uh, if I get in trouble for it, I'll be like, listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's just a song. <laughs> you know? Not, yeah. <laughs> but it's not. You know, I'm mad. Yeah, that's nice. Talk about you as an artist. And when I say artist, I guess I mean in every sense of the word. I mean... You're a singer, you're a musician, you're a songwriter, and you work as a graphic designer? Um, more or less. It's certainly not in any traditional training kind of way, but uh -huh. I uh, dabble with graphic design and I'm able to, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you've got lots of creative things going on around you and are the people you keep around you also really creative? Yeah, definitely. And I think... I mean, I'm sure you guys know, being mm. musicians as well, I think that creative people just attract each other. Yeah. Mm. And then you can have this kind of like environment of, I don't know, like everyone everyone can play a part, if that makes sense. So like one of my, my really good friends here, he's a graphic designer and he's much better than I am at it, <laughs> but... <laughs> He did like all my like record layout design and all that stuff. Absolutely killed it. Like I knew he would. 
And uh, it's really nice to like be able to ask your friends to join on your projects. And I've got another friend here who um, she's a photographer and videographer and she works with a lot of uh, like brands for shoots and stuff. She's the one who did my music videos. Oh, nice. um, so again, like another friend that I got to ask to, to like join the journey with me. Mm. Um, and then I'm, my other best friend here, she's a hairstylist, which is uh, maybe people don't see that as an art form, but it definitely is. And mm-hmm. she's, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's also a big responsibility kind of art uh, form. <laughs> yes. And she's a, a really intuitive hairstylist. And so it's really, really fun to go sit in her chair and be like, I don't know, do whatever you want. And it's just like <laughs> a great haircut every time. And they're all so different. But that's, yeah, that's wicked. Just going back to what you were saying about creative people attracting creative people I think that can be really really true and certainly something that's you know felt easier pre-pandemic where you can actually network and meet people in person but there may well be some people listening to this who think well I don't seem to attract very many creative people around me even though I'm creative I've certainly felt like that before and it can be quite a frustrating thing and something that you're always told that you need to be patient with. So how did you go about finding your creative people? Well, so uh, when I moved here, I didn't didn't know anybody, uh, but I actually had friends in Alabama who knew some people out here and uh, they were like, hey, you should go to this Halloween party. And I was like, all right. (laughs) And that's where I met my friend who's the graphic designer. Um, And so, I don't know. I think that, I think that there are specific environments that you do need to put yourself in to meet specific types of people. Because I also have friends who um, don't have creative jobs and they don't really necessarily have creative outlets that they're very dedicated to. Um, But I also think it's important to have friends like that too. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, those people are the ones that keep you grounded. Otherwise, things can get pretty intense. Those people are so important to have in your life. I mean, sometimes I worry that that's me in my friendship group. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, am I like the boring nine to five girl? I think it's because I I think I kind of straddle two worlds where it's kind of like I work in like the the kind of corporate side of music, but then I have a lot of things, Mm. which I kind of think is a... It's kind of the nice way to be because, I don't know, personally, I kind of like knowing like when I'm going to work and like having days to book off of holiday. But then I have like quite a lot of creative outlet. Everyone I work with is a musician or a producer. We were like doing this Zoom get to know you with everyone's uh, with some new colleagues. And it was kind of cool that it was like, oh, I play bass. Oh, I play guitar. I was like, I've got a music podcast. And so it's nice that we kind of have both worlds. But I also have friends who like just you know work on spreadsheets or I can things like finance but then I've also got friends who are like constantly doing different things and that's maybe I'm just smack bang in the middle you are Hattie you're wonderful (laughs) perfect as you are (laughs) I also feel like the further I get into the music industry the less I want to spend time with other musicians fair yeah um just because I I I feel like it can be a bit of like an overload it's kind of like you know whenever you're you're spending a day in the studio and you'll spend maybe eight hours trying to track some songs 
And then when you get out, you don't want to listen to music. You just want silence. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like after a while, you do get so tired of just always talking about being in the music industry that it's just like, I'm bored. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about like psychology or something, you know? Yeah. I was quite friendly with a DJ a couple of years back who was also a journalist. And he was like, I just want to come home and turn everything off because my job is my ears and they never yeah. rest. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, exactly. I, yeah, sometimes I actually feel like, because like when I worked in a office, uh, we'd always have music on, which was great. And it'd always be different things. We talk about music, we go to music events. And then I find in my spare time, I just listen to so many podcasts because I'm like, I just want speech audio. Yeah. I'm kind of sometimes so like, so sonically stimulated that it all just gets a bit too much. And it's kind of sometimes hard to differentiate between like what you've just listened to and what you're going to listen yeah. to next. And yeah, definitely. And I really feel your point as well about not necessarily wanting to listen to music or talk about music or engage with it. I go through those phases. Yeah, I go through those. And I think that's probably where I would turn to podcasts, you know, just to engage in something completely different. What do you do to wind down? Because it can be very tricky when people are like, oh, yeah, listen to music, go to a gig or whatever. Yeah, I think sometimes it's hard to get excited about music uh, just just through some spurts here and there. And uh, I think usually that's when I go to podcasts as well. Or um, mm. maybe I'll start watching more movies than I usually do. Or even I feel like um, classical music is kind of like a neutralizer for me. So mm. if I don't know what to listen to or if I feel disinterested in something, I'll just turn on a baroque playlist i love that a little it's like, like white noise cleanser. for me yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah do you also feel like sometimes the further that you get into music you maybe sometimes the magic's gone i think sometimes when you know kind of how things you know how things are made you know how long it yeah. took to get a drum line or how to make the harmonies work how do yeah. you kind of move through that loss of magic um, so one thing <laughs> that I've been told by people who understand, like they went to school for music and they know music theory really well. They've basically told me like, don't, don't worry about theory because it will kill the magic. Um, and so mm. I've taken that advice. I mean, like <laughs> there's still a bit of like guitar theory I'd like to learn just to be a better player, but, but overall, like, um, I try to stay away from that so that I don't lose the magic in that way. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's, and that, that's the thing is the, the days that I'm just so not excited about music, it's the magic is just gone. Um, but at the same time, I love listening to other people's stuff and, and trying to figure out how they did it or what they were doing or just noticing the details in music. That was something that, um, actually kind of restored some magic for me. It was whenever I started getting in the studio and recording and really like piecing stuff together with a producer, your ears just grow so much because you, you just listen to music in such a different way. It was the same when I was learning graphic design. Uh, suddenly you were just aware of all of the details and it's mm -hmm. like you have a new pair of eyes or a new pair of ears. Um, so maybe in some ways that kind of restored the magic for me with music. But um, I do think that understanding a formula way too well can can bore you to death. 
Yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. This is all real great stuff, and I want to bring it back again to um, to just talking about how you network really, and how you found your people, how you found your friends. Oh. So, <laughs> was it was it an easy thing for you to do? It sounds like you were pretty brave, and you just went and met people. Um. Yeah, it honestly doesn't feel that different for me. I am actually kind of pretty shy. And uh, when I'm, and I have, I have pretty bad social anxiety, which is interesting because I am a performer, but (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, in person in those situations would have such a hard time being like, hi, my name is Tyler. (laughs) For some reason that terrifies me, but because we live in such a, a digital age, you know, it's like it is so easy to reach out to people on on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter or whatever. And um, I've definitely like even gotten over the social anxiety on social media. I've just been like, you know what? Doesn't matter. I'm just gonna send this weird message, and if they don't like me, they don't like me. Um, so I think even before the pandemic, I was more so on a social networking platform with my phone than I was in person because I'm just so scared of people. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I know what you I mean. Think, yeah, makes sense. Kind of, I'm kind of the same. And um, I definitely think doing the podcast has also made me put myself out there. And it mm. is kind of, it's quite nice to have a little sanctuary of being like, I'm going to message this person. And yeah, if they yeah. see it and they don't reply, that's fine. If they see it mm-hmm. and they do reply, that's great. And if they never see yeah. it. I won't lose sleep on it. Definitely had that being yeah. like, we should talk to this person on the podcast uh-huh. and then they just never get back. And we're yeah. like, <laughs> Next. Yeah. never mind. Try again a different day. Nothing to lose. Mm, yeah. And just highlighting the point you made about being an introvert and a performer at the same time or being shy and a performer at the same time. I love that because that is something that we've spoken about quite a lot with our guests mm-hmm. and something that... I even relate to as well you know I yeah. actually don't feel like a, a complete extrovert even though I perform and I think one of the issues with that is that you get people who just assume that you're this real confident person when actually you feel something completely different inside and really you've had to create a persona which almost becomes like a coping mechanism yeah and it's something that yeah, a lot of people don't really seem to always understand. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do actually think it's our responsibility as humans and as audience members to really respect the fact that performers might not be as confident as they seem and respect those artistic lines between the stage and the audience. Oh, it's so bold of them to assume because <laughs> it's like, if if you're so extroverted, when are you finding the time to dig into your own head to create Mm. something when are you finding the time to get bored enough to pick up a guitar like Mm. if you don't spend time by yourself I just don't understand how you could make things and some people do but I mean maybe they just have endless energy I uh I feel like I spend about 90 percent of my time by myself Mm. and especially since the pandemic Mm. um but I've learned how to really lean into it. And like, yeah, I get lonely. <laughs> I mean, sometimes my loneliness really bites me in the ass, but a lot of the times I really enjoy it. And uh, I'm I'm also considerably a low energy person. Um, so I'm really picky with who I give my energy to. But 
the pandemic has also just not really helped with social anxiety because you don't get to practice mm. uh, your like rejection therapy, so to say. <laughs> and um, it's I can tell when I go to the grocery store that I, I feel considerably more anxious, you know, but one thing that's actually been helping recently with social anxiety or just to get me out of my shell has been skateboarding. So that's been really nice, but, mm. but I have been thinking like when parties are a thing again, am I going to want to go? And if I go, am I going to just be like the most awkward person in the room or am I just going to like overcompensate and be super outgoing? I mm. know no one wants to hear it, but I do feel like it's going to be similar for a lot of people. I think everyone is yeah. feeling very anxious about getting back to real life. I definitely am. Um, just like, what am I going to say to people? I've even, even like Zooms with friends. I'm like, I don't have anything to say. I've not done anything. <laughs> I kind of don't. Yeah. This is, you know, it's, it's very strange. And it's funny that you've kind of found a ref, like, maybe not a refuge, but like a sort of release in skateboarding. Cause I kind of use roller skating as well, but even sometimes that yeah. can be quite like anxiety inducing when lots of oh, people yeah. want to like meet up and skate. And I'm like, Oh yeah, no, I kind of just want to like be by myself. And Especially when you're not good at it. Cause yes. you're like, don't watch me. Do you have an, an Instagram for your skating? Yeah, Hattie does. I do. Good. I'm going to follow it as soon as this is over. She's so good. She really, really is. I sponsor her. She's doing a great job. Yeah. Well, maybe we should all get our skates on and get ready for the return of the Roaring Twenties mm. with our endless social anxiety. <laughs> You've obviously got an album coming out in April. April yeah. 23rd? Yes. What was the process like of making that? How long have you kind of been working on that and piecing that all together? Well, uh, if you want to go as far back as when the songs were be being written. Yeah, I want to uh, go far back. <laughs> I mean, I started writing these songs like four or five years ago. Oh, wow. Some of them. Uh, and I don't know if you'd be able to tell which ones. It's actually been kind of funny because I've shared the the, the private record link with some friends and they're like, man, I can just, your songwriting has just gotten so good. You've grown so much. And I'm like, really? Because some of these songs are some of the first <laughs> songs I've ever written. <laughs> and I won't tell you which ones. But um, but yeah, it's been like four or five years in the making. And uh, I set up my studio time with Jeremy in November of 2019. Um and then pandemic hit and it actually worked out better because he plays in this band called Okie Dokie and he was going to be playing a ton of festivals over that <laughs> summer. Okay. And he was like, we'll figure out a time. I might just have to take my weekends off for festivals. But then because of the pandemic, shows weren't happening and he was like completely available. So mm. we recorded in for the month of July in 2020 at his home studio. And I was staying on my sister's couch, like down the road. And so just hanging out in the studio every day for a month. And then as soon as we were done recording, I got on the phone with my label and <laughs> they were like, yeah, let's get this thing out in February. And I was like, that sounds like so optimistic, but I'm not going to argue. And Cause you know, like everything just takes so much longer than you expect it to. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Uh, over time, it was like, okay, I think April is doable. But even then, like, ordering vinyl and getting it pressed, we were like, 
are we going to have the vinyl done in time? Like so scary, but everything mm. has worked out. So it's been like years in the making, but really for the actual album process, it's been nearly a year. Yeah. Mm. So what, right. what was it about now that kind of you were like, this is the time to kind of finish out? If, if songs have been around for like four or five years, mm. what what made you be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to release an album. Mm. Was Was there anything or were you just... It just felt like it was the next natural step uh, for for what I had been doing because I had released my EP in March of 2019. And then that summer I did my first tour. Uh, and then a couple months later, I did another tour and um, came home and was like just feeling pretty impulsive actually. And I was like, you know what? Let's just set a time to go do a full length record. And by the time the record rolls around, we will have the songs. And it's pretty much what happened. So then I um, I started like, or I, I, I that's when I ran away <laughs> to that little <laughs> cabin in Alabama, like a month before recording. Uh, and I was like, okay, we have to like write a couple more songs and finish this record. And it worked out. <laughs> and like all the songs that I wrote out there are like my favorite ones on the record now. So that's um, amazing. Yeah, I can be kind of impulsive or maybe it's like impulsive in a really calculated way. <laughs> but I have to light a fire under my own ass or I just won't do things. But yeah. I'm pretty self-motivated. So I'm not overall, I'm not very worried. Mm, almost like giving yourself a deadline before you yeah. started the project. I yes. work amazing with deadlines. Otherwise, I wouldn't do anything. Yeah, fair. Sometimes I'm the same. I think I think back to yeah. my like dissertation at uni and I'm like, I needed that date because I didn't do anything until like two weeks before. Yeah. Um, I was going to say also like thinking about that time you ran away in the cabin and wrote loads of your songs. What were your, what did your days look like? What was a typical kind of songwriting day? I think that's a really successful songwriting session from yeah, great process. Kind of the sounds of it with so many that landed on oh. the album and they're the favorites. It was actually so lovely because while I don't think I could ever live in my hometown ever again, it was such a good break uh, mm. from where I had been. Like I was just here at my house in Austin with my roommate, and like I just felt, I just felt so claustrophobic. And I had a family member that had this one room cabin on some land that I knew he wasn't using. And, uh, he was like, yeah, come on. And I was like, okay. So I did. And so pretty much my days were like, <laughs> I, I would, uh, sleep in until like, I don't know, like 11 or something and get up, make coffee, go sit in the sun for a couple hours. <laughs> and then I'd go inside when the day would get too hot. And I would sit down with my guitar and I'd either play some covers just to have some fun playing music or I would get an idea for a song and I would start working on it and just chipping away at it over the days and, and voice memo after voice memo of different versions just to kind of let it evolve. Mm. My phone storage is horrible. Um, <laughs> but and then in the afternoons at sunset, I would take I would do walks every single day out to this field that had cows because sunsets in Alabama are just like untouchable. Like oh. everything turns gold. It's amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I'd take my little walk and then the sun would go down and then I'd hang out inside and 
just kind of chip away at songs a bit more, maybe watch some TV and then stay up way too late and do it all over again. So that sounds I did also it. learn how to ride motorcycles a little bit while I was out there. So that was fun. <gasps> That's wicked. I would love to do. I mean, I said I'd love to do that. But part of me is like, I'd hate to do that because I'm slightly risk averse. But it sounds Same. so fun. I mean, I've stopped since then because I'm like, I don't want to die. <laughs> but at the time, it was great. It was like, this is invigorating. I could die. Mm, yeah, it kind of feels like something out of a movie. I'm kind of seeing like Grand Canyon. I know it's not the Grand Canyon, but I'm it's, kind of uh, seeing that. Yeah, it's definitely uh, easy to romanticize that time. And mm. I just got to spend so much of it all by myself, which is exactly what I wanted. And it was amazing. Mm. That's quite, I think, quite like a brave thing. I think it's sometimes quite a difficult thing. I'm I'm quite similar in the way that I really like my kind of my own time because I'm mm-hmm. I kind of think it stems from being a like an only child. I've got like step siblings, but we never grew up together. So it's just okay. me in my house. Yeah. My mum had me like, she was like an old mum. So I feel like I was mm-hmm. around like adults quite a lot. And even now I like really like kind of just shutting the door and being by myself and like yeah. my boyfriend's like oh, I'm gonna go see and I'm like I'm gonna stay home I'm just gonna like yeah watch crap on tv or have like no tv on and just like paint my nails and read my book and hang out with my pets and I just but I know some people that hate being by themselves yeah well that's your familiarity mm. but yeah definitely like I think there's something to this also so I, I don't have an experience as an only child I'm the youngest of five so I also feel like um, there's there's got to be something psychologically to being the youngest sibling because now all of my friends in my life are like older than me. Like I don't hang out with people my age very often or people younger. I'm just – and I've always been used to having older friends. And I like hanging out with adults too. I don't know. Mm. They're just so calm. Mm. <laughs> they're low energy like me. <laughs> kind of circle back to what you were saying um in the beginning about uh when you were doing open mic nights and it was like an older crowd yeah I guess it's like yeah. the idea of, of being quite comfortable in places yeah I don't know exactly what it, what it is about it but it's definitely something like I I always loved hanging out with my dad and his friends I would literally just sit there and like people watch them mm. it's so calming but yeah so earlier in the interview we spoke a little bit about storytelling but let's go back to your inspiration for songwriting. Where do you get your ideas of songs? Are they like, do you pick them up from places around you? When you're writing, were you like inspired by nature? Or was it just maybe like thoughts you had in your head, things you'd read? Um, I feel like I I lyrically write things very true to my like inner voice in my head. Um, and sometimes the inner voice is poetic and sometimes it's just very real and natural. But um, it's different every time. I, I will say I specifically remember when I was writing I Am the Prophet, that song, I had just finished watching like two documentaries about Towns Van Zant. They're called like Heartworn Highways. And I think there's a second one. And um, I was just so inspired. I was like, I love the way that he writes. I want to sit down and write a song that reminds me of Towns Van Zandt. And of course, it evolved so mm. far outside of that realm. But it it was the driving force to writing the song and the way that I was pushing my emotions out uh, in a way that I felt like maybe Towns would have done it. Um, and so that translates to all the other songs like 
I feel like each song I could tell you a different musician that I was admiring at the time. Mm. Like, um, I know my, my EP, uh, there's a song called what sanity. And I was listening to a ton of Bedouin around that time. And so, yeah, it's, it's a bit all over the place, but as far as the content of the songs, I usually wait until like, I'm really upset. And then it just pours out. Like I am so poetic when I'm mad or sad. <laughs> When I'm happy, I don't even think about music. I'm like <laughs> writing songs. But when I'm upset, I'm like, oh, man, I'm about to make somebody like regret what they did to me with this song, you know? I like it. So, yeah. I like the idea that it's kind of like revenge is a dish best served with a with a chord yes. progression. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, tons of people listening to it and really liking it. And then you just have to deal with the fact that it's about you. So, <laughs> so good for that. Yeah, for sure. So, Lady Dan, we've come to that point in the interview where it's time to ask you, who do you have on repeat at the moment? And actually, talking about inspirations, who have you always had on repeat? Who, who, do, you, who do you like to have on repeat? I got so into wise blood, like just so into it. And I'll do this thing where I'll, I'll kind of pick a musician or a band and, and, and almost just obsess over the individual (laughs) and just listen to as many podcasts about them as possible. So I I did that with Natalie Maring for sure. And I was really inspired by the way that, uh, they use pedal steel on that Titanic rising album. Um, I was also listening to a lot (laughs) of, uh, Jesse Woods. He's a, He's an artist that lives south of Austin, and uh, he has such a great sound. I also love the way that he uses pedal steel in his music. And if you haven't heard of him, you should totally look him up. I think you'd like it. I'll write that down. Um, and then, like, listening to a lot of classic country. Nice. Um, Willie Nelson, Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. Towns oh, Van Zandt. <laughs> yeah. I love Dolly. The dream team. The dream thing. team. Yeah. The dream trio, I'd say, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then this will just always be my answer because I have been a super fan since I was 16, but I am never not constantly listening to Laura Marling. Oh, um, nice. I'm just absolutely obsessed. So, yeah. And she's the reason why I even wanted to learn how to play the guitar. Oh so my goodness. <gasps> everything she does, I love. I haven't so not liked amazing. anything. I couldn't She did so... a talk at uh, my uni. Saw her up close and personal. Oh, you went. <laughs> She honestly, was just as like even... ethereal as you'd kind of, do you know what I mean? Like mm. she, yeah, she was I very I wish cool. I'd gone. I just wouldn't go. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> I'd be way too scared. Do you know how they say don't meet your heroes? Yeah. I'm not saying I think she's a mean person, mm. but I just am so afraid that she wouldn't want to be my best friend that I just couldn't <laughs> chance it. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, no, she was, she was great. We'd love to have her on the podcast one day. I'll try and... Please, do everything you can. I need to hear more about her life. Yeah, you're right. Definitely. She is quite a mysterious character, though I have to say. She's been doing some amazing work during lockdown with her guitar tutorials. Uh, To be honest, that was one of the things that kept me going, as well as her new album. Oh, she is just spectacular. But yeah, quite, quite a mysterious character. We'd love to know a little bit more about Laura Marling, for sure. But what a fantastic musician to mention and you know what it's not the first time that she's cropped up 
in one of our podcasts. I think Brooke Bentham mentioned her as well. I think she's a real important figure, actually, particularly for uh, people of our generation. And uh, that too. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. fair to say. Um, yeah. Massive yeah. inspiration, Laura Marlene. Funny. I listen to a lot more uh, English artists than American. And I don't know why. I just do. I just love, I just love what you guys are doing. Oh. Um, but the, yeah, the, the on repeat for me here recently in my most recent obsession has been shame mm. that, that punk band. I just love them mm-hmm. so much. I have so much shame merch that my friends have made fun of me. So. <laughs> it's yeah. That is a perfect answer. We're in the middle of building like a kind of playlist of everything that people uh-huh. have recommended and all the artists that uh. they've had but it takes a really long time because so many people mention like names throughout and you have to like yeah. go through mm. yeah but when that's done I'll put snow day on there for me by them i that's my favorite one i'm gonna, write that down. I'm gonna make a note of that well tyler nice. thank you so much yeah. you've been yeah. an amazing guest thank this you. has been my favorite so far because you guys have asked questions that i i really haven't been asked yet oh so thank you. you did a great job of like thinking outside of the box thank you so much that's so humbling to hear and also you know if you're ever in London just give us a shout oh I'll be hitting you two up personally (laughs) do you guys want to hang out yeah cool well have a great night it was so nice to talk to you guys thank you so much looking forward to catching up in real life for sure yeah bye see ya Lady Dan is on a wonderful wavelength and we love her. What a warm and lovely interview. Thank you so much. Her debut album, I Am The Prophet, is out via Earth Libraries on April the 23rd, so make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that. How exciting. So bye for now and until next week.